Didn't pick it up. Hold on, I'll open mine. It's all right. Crazy. There you go. The little bottle pop top. Yep. We're back again. Where did November go, dude? November. It's like Thanksgiving next uh, next week. Well, I know for me and probably our guests too. Um, November and most of October went to band. A lot of band. Um, a lot of band. This so. is true. Although your season was over in October, you're probably just like decompressed for two weeks. Yeah, we talk about that later. But <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been nice to have a little bit of a break. We're still grinding though. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's not uh, beat around the bush here. Welcome, everyone, to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me, as always, is... Evan Worrell. And before we get into today's amazing guest, uh, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel if you're watching there. And even if you're not and you're on podcast services, go over to YouTube and hit subscribe because we have a bunch of other content we put out there, clips of the podcast, reaction videos, blah, blah, blah. Check out social media, Facebook, Instagram. Never miss an update on stuff. Um... Check out LoneStarPercussion.com. Use the discount code AGEDOUT. Save yourself $10 on any order of $50 or more. If you want to support us directly financially, head over to Patreon.com slash AGEDOUTPODCAST. We have even a $1 tier. And if you can't, just listening supports us enough. So we appreciate whatever you can do. And uh, I think I hit it all. I think I did it all. Nailed it. Yep. Evan, take it away. Let's uh, run with this thing. So joining us today is a fellow Kentucky native. Uh, but he's transplanted transplanted across the country a little bit uh, from a very far, far part of the state, from me at least. But joining us is uh, Mr. Joe Hobbs out of Texas. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of just worked out the right timing. I'm sure you guys wrapped up pretty pretty recently with your, your marching season and your program, which we'll get into uh, shortly as well. But yeah, man, from Murray, Kentucky, right? Dude, small town, yeah. I was excited when you guys told me you guys are from Kentucky as well, because I've talked about Murray before, and no one has any idea where the hell that is. Uh, but it's in Kentucky, small town, far west near Paducah, uh, but grew up there. My mom taught at Murray State, and that's kind of why I ended up going to Murray State. Uh, I graduated there from 02, and then marching drum corps at Southwind uh, for three years. Had some really good teachers there, Cliff Walker, uh, Jeff Osdemore. Was my first snare tech, oh, yeah. actually. Uh, yeah, crazy with him. Uh, always blows my mind. He rode the member bus. Jeff did. Uh, so me and Mike. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they talked him into it, but he would sit in the front seat. And then Mike Hodges, uh, awesome tenor player, uh, also marched Southwind 01. And we sat next to each other. And we would go up to the front of the bus every night and say, Jeff, show us a new grid. Show us something we can't play. And he would wake up show us something and then me and mike spend the whole night trying to figure it out you know and dude that uh, is killer i couldn't imagine obviously um for many legal reasons uh why staff members probably don't (laughs) ride the bus with the members anymore uh Uh, but yeah just from a sanity standpoint (laughs) that's pretty hilarious i don't know how he did it man he was on pretty much the whole summer um but yeah march southland three years had a great experience there uh, then marched Cavaliers for three years and have taught drum corps ever since. It's kind of crazy. This is year 20, I guess, marching wow. and teaching drum corps. So I feel like an old man. So if you so marched, you, if you yeah, marched for ahead, six man. years, were you 16 when you started at Southwind? I was 15? 16, yeah. Okay. Man, wow. I always I was like, I'm amazed by the kids that start that young because I didn't start till I was 19. And I just hear, I just can't imagine like, how hard it was for me at 19, I was like, I could not have done this at 16. 
So I always give kudos to anyone that started that early. I, I just don't think I knew any better. You know what I mean? I think I was young and came from a really small high school. You know, our typical size drum line was two snares, one quad and like three bass drums. You know, so I just knew I wanted to keep drumming and keep growing. Uh, and with Southwind being in Lexington, Kentucky at the time, you know, it was four hours up the road. And I just, I just knew what to do. I started auditioning when I was 14, actually, mm-hmm. um, at Pioneer. Nice. Uh, nice. Had a ton of dudes. It's kind of a weird connection. James Powell, who teaches in the Indiana area, was the caption and an arranger at Pioneer in the mid-90s. And he went and taught at Murray State. So there were a ton of guys in that area that had marched Pioneer in the late 90s. So it's kind of like what you did if you wanted to march drum corps, you went to Pioneer. So I went there, got cut at 14, then got cut again at 15, um, and then finally went somewhere else in 16 and made, made the in-snare spot at Southwind in 2001. So Persistence. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, it was very eye-opening. At 14, it was like I, I had no idea what I was doing. I remember getting a flam exercise and seeing inverts written out. And thinking it was a typo, you know, like why on <laughs> earth would, would anyone write the most awkward sticking ever? And then I got to the camp and realized it wasn't a typo and I'm just terrible. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but man, it was, it was huge growth. And like I said, just kept, I've stayed in the activity since, you know, I took, I did not teach in 2013 and then obviously the COVID year. Uh, but yeah, I just love the activity, love doing it, love being around it. Um, and hopefully we'll be around it for many years to come. So when you were at Cavaliers, uh, your first year, 04, uh, Markworth was there, right? Um, yeah. And then your second year, a good friend of ours from Moorhead State, um, another MSU, not the Murray State that Joe went to, um, <laughs> was there, Jonathan Sharp. We called him Sharpie. And actually, that 05, why? And I remember it so vividly, watching the innovative videos with the like twangy bass riff that comes out. <laughs> but at the end of one of those videos, I don't know if it's the drum feature or whatever, you guys do this like uh, visual. It's like a wave down the snare line where everybody like raises like the right arm. And then out of just cold attack space, there's just like this shot. And I swear it's one of the crispiest shots I've ever heard in a, uh, in a video in my life. I will defend. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I defend it's one of the best pink shots recorded of all time. It's great. And I don't know what there's something about the audio too. It's kind of odd, um, but that was a good year, man. That was a weird year. You know, we had two vets in that snare line. Uh, one was oh, from wow. Japan, uh, Kiyotaka Sakina, whose dad actually runs uh, Imachi. Oh wow, sick! So we split center. He was an awesome player, and then it was really six new guys after that. Um, Kuala was a little bit older. It was a real young group, and obviously Brett's last last year with the group as well. So. Worked out pretty well. Weren't you guys like second in percussion that year, tied or something with like Phantom or something? We like did. That? We we tied finals night. Uh, we it's it's nerdy that I know all this. I remember all this. We won drums in San Antonio, um, and then Cadets got real real good um, the back <laughs> half of the season and just destroyed everyone for the rest of the year. So as they did frequently in the early two thousands. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That 05 year is just a phenomenal year for percussion ensembles, too. Cadets, oh, you yeah. guys, Phantom was on the come up. That is yeah. uh, Mike McIntosh, Connexus line, or not Connexus. Connexus was the show, I think. Blue Coast lines uh, were great. Um, yeah, there's a bunch. There's some other good years. But 05 is a, was a great memory. I actually, that was the first time that I went to a drum corps regional. I went to the indie regional before. Mm-hmm. Of course, finals weren't in indie that year. I think they were in Fox maybe um yeah, but yeah yeah 
So I remember going to that indie regional and watching cadets warm up, and I was just like, oh, it's so loud. <laughs> they were so yeah. good, man. Every year. It, it, it's, I remember as a member, you know, I remember having a picture of them on my wall, like when I was marching calves, like as the, as the goal, you know, they were setting the standard, I think, in clarity, that 01, 02, 03, you know, and if you wanted to win drums, you kind of had to go through cadets back then. You know, yeah, that and, was kind of Mike and myself's like dream core at the time too, because our drum family tree kind of goes back through that. Uh, Eric Ward when he was at Cadets, and then when he was mm-hmm. at Moorhead State, and both the guys that taught Mike and myself in high school went to Moorhead State with Eric. So we were just kind of like, "That's that's the goal. That's what it is." But yep, <laughs> yeah, they were. I mean, they were just so consistent every year. It was mind blowing. So many great teachers came out of those groups too. Um, yeah, yeah, nothing but respect for those for those lines. Yeah, d- despite like cadets winning a lot in that like five six year period, it's just like so many other good drum lines. Like I consider that early two thousands era like the pinnacle of what I would call classic drum corps. Whereas like now we're in like the modern era of the iteration of drum corps that exists now, and kind of like that like late two thousands ten eleven twelve is like a transition period. But that that it's it's like the pinnacle of just that run and gun style. Like it's just amazing. To watch even even now, classic yeah. to us. I bet some seventies, uh, eighties, nineties cats would fight you on that one. <laughs> that's vintage. Um, that's vin- that's the vintage. Uh, there you go. That's the vintage, vintage drum corps. Also there amazing it in its own right for what they did. Uh, so you mentioned it briefly there too. From 05 to 06, uh, Brett Kuhn left, and then Jim Casella came back from his brief hiatus of drum corps. And was that? It doesn't seem overly drastic, but was it? Somewhat of a change. I know you guys obviously went from the flat surface to the tilt. Maybe a little bit more uh, freedom in the approach, I would say, from what the 0405 technique was. Just maybe a little bit more natural arm motion. But how was that, like, when you guys found out, like, what, Brett's not coming back? Are we going to go back? Was there anything through your head that was apprehensive about returning? Um, not for me. Um, I, I could say this, that drum corps, and I think it's true to this day, you know, is, is a fraternal organization. And it's a great organization. It's it didn't matter who was teaching drums; I was going to be there. Um, the drum corps just meant a lot to me. Uh, but I do remember Jeff Fiedler. I remember him calling me, probably in middle of August, late August, and just said, "Hey, I want you to know first, you know, Brett's like on my back." And he was like, "Who should we hire?" And I, he probably already had everything lined up <laughs> at that point. Uh, but he asked. But he asked me. My, my immediate response was, "Get Jim Casella." And he's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm, again, I think it's all smoke and mirrors. I think he knew what he was going to do. <laughs> um, but they hired Jim. I just knew Jim did not teach in 05 at Vanguard. 04 was his last year. And I just, you know, growing up when I grew up, man, those those late 90s Vanguard lines, it was just something different. And it was yeah. fresh. And the interplay between the battery stuff and the front stuff, you know, all those like percussion break, I think in 2000, it was like, Marching snare roll into constant snare roll into bass drum run into xylo gliss and just all the dialogue, it was just just mind blowing and what he was doing at the time and I just I still don't think I there are writers that I love that are writing today but Jim just always has held a special place in my heart in terms of what how he writes and what he does so when the opportunity of someone asked me who should we hire at the Cavaliers my immediate my immediate thought was if Jim Casella will do it that's the first call so I I agree wholeheartedly on the Jim Casella fan fandom that like on the waterfront stuff that he wrote. And then that video on YouTube where he's like breaking down 
all the stuff from the scoring and like why he did and like pattern a versus pattern b and how it overlaps and how it relates to like i it's just it's so phenomenal it's such a great combination of tasty musicality and substance the way it's paced out i could not agree more with that yeah i i think the, it's been really cool later on in life we've actually become pretty close friends um we would do we go hiking together we have been in a couple years but i've gotten another guy most humble person on the planet awesome guy um yeah so anyway going back to what we were talking about yeah we they hired him in 06 uh the technique change was pretty drastic uh but for me coming from the Southwind technique and the way we played, which was a little more old school, like a lot of, a lot of back finger to do everything. If I were to play like, like Irish, you know, but da, 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 I would do almost everything with my back fingers. Um, or Cavaliers, it was a little more wrist, like wrist first and support with finger. And the Vanguard staff that came with them, which had some incredible teachers, one that comes with Dustin Schlutzer, who I think is an unsung teacher. I don't know if his name gets done around as much as it should. Um, was was pretty life changing for me having him in there, but just a little. It was more about what your arm does in the space. I would say the change was it wasn't necessarily how I grip the stick. It was more like what the stick does between the notes was the biggest change I think. And adding that arm and adding that flow. Um, but that was the biggest change. And some of the members were excited about it, and some of them honestly weren't. I think '06 was a real difficult season for some of that staff, um, just because they were going with guys that didn't go to Cavaliers to play that way. You know, and there was a little bit of a struggle back and forth. But obviously, the, the show was great. We had a great vehicle, and uh, it was a pretty pretty awesome year. Yeah, worked out pretty well for the for the whole ensemble, for sure. Took away that gold medal. The machine. Yeah, it was awesome. And we, and we knew pretty early. I remember getting, I remember Jim sending me, uh, or sending the members an email of the draft of the drum solo with all the typewriter stuff. And it used to be, I don't know if you remember the part, it was all six tuplets. It used to be all singles. Like just burning singles for like thirty seconds straight. Uh, couldn't play to save my life. But I remember emailing like Jim immediately, being like, "And I didn't know Jim really at all. He's my teacher at that point." I remember this is the coolest effing stuff I've ever heard. And you know, I was just, <laughs> I was just, just so stoked. And I was like, "This is so different for us." And we knew the show was good early on. We just had to kind of achieve it. And if we achieved it, we thought we'd be, you know, in the conversation, you know, for a championship that year. It was another good good year for just drum corps shows uh yep. that show the phantom regiment faust show um, yeah the blue de- blue coats did it was either connexus or caravan i don't remember which years they did which uh five or six but just another great year for shows the blue devils the godfather good. show and that phantom drum line i remember lyle illinois i'll never forget this playing a warm-up and then walking to go to the show and walking by phantom in 06 and just hearing that buzz intro and i was like oz 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 like was how they started the show, and I walked by. And I was like, "Oh, God bless! That's ridiculous!" Like yeah. being almost like so. They were so good so early. That's my that was kind of Paul's first like staple, like signature line when it came out. He was like, "That's ridiculously good," and they just didn't slow down all summer, man. They were tough. No one beat him, I think, towards the end. So, yeah, that's probably one of my favorite drum lines of all time. Just maybe I won't say the best, but just one of my favorite. So, so clean. I, I just, it's unbelievably clean. And the tuning was a little higher for him, I thought, that year. Yes. And the snares, which – and it cut. And when it really hit, it was just – yeah, it was undeniably good. It was not uh, – it was very transparent. They were not hiding, that's for sure. <laughs> not at all. And, and, yeah, just unbelievable. Watching videos now, I still watch videos of that. And it's just like, my goodness, you know, nobody was touching that that year. <laughs> 
So get done, age out. Were you immediately like, I want to go teach or did you just kind of fall into it and then it worked out that way? Um, I knew I wanted to teach. I ended up doing actually some Cavaliers camps um, that's that year. And I knew I wasn't teaching this summer. They just needed some extra help. Um, that was actually the first time they did satellite camps. It used to be if you wanted to try out the Cavaliers, you had to go to Chicago. And you'd have like 120 snare drummers all in one room. Um, they started the satellite thing that year. So I think I did Houston and maybe Atlanta that year. Um, but I knew I was going to teach in the summer, but a good friend of mine, Eric Willie, um, who's a fantastic teacher at a University of North Carolina, Greensboro, was going to Southwind. He'd been there a couple of years. He wrote the Ensemble stuff. And then they hired Shane Gwaltney, uh, who obviously teaches at Mystique and has taught at Mystique for years and years and years, um, was going to do the battery book and be the battery caption head. And Eric called me and said, do you want to do it? I think I called Eric Johnson at IP and said, hey, should I do this thing? And he's like, 100%. Dude, if Eric Johnson's still the guy I call, you know, if a life-changing thing comes up, I just call him and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And I just always trust his, his input and his guidance. And he said, of course, and did the thing. And so started teaching right away in 07. Nice. So. A good friend of ours, uh, well, especially mine, March 07, 08 Cavaliers, uh, Ted Leith. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Harrison County. What's up, Ted? <laughs> Kentucky. A lot of good Kentucky representation in this podcast. Yeah, man. We're holding it down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so then you went through a, a pretty extensive, like, many, many good cores. Uh, Cash and head spirit for a little bit, right? Uh, taught yep. at MCM. Obviously had that Shane Gwaltney. Phantom, Cavaliers. What was the uh, kind of the segues to each of those? How did the spirit to MCM, Phantom, Cavaliers, back to Cavaliers happen? Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually. So after 07, we did Southwind, and we, uh, it folded. We taught the one year, they immediately folded. Um, and that was some good people involved, but I mean, that was a rough summer in terms of just getting down the road. I mean, we had this old RV for the staff that had no AC, Ooh. And, and we would just sweat, and it was like me and Shane and Eric Willie and uh, Steve Vento does, does a lot of brass arranging now, um, just sweating and just, like, not sleeping well. Uh, I think I was the visual tech that summer, too. So, like, Oof. I didn't take any blocks off. Like, I just went, and Rough. I didn't know any better. That's what I did. Uh, and then so Southwind folded, so we knew we had nothing, you know, we're not going back. Um, and then I actually took a job at Cavaliers, Believe it or not, in 08, Dustin Schletzer called me and said, hey, you know, I'm going to teach probably one or two more years. I want you to come teach with me. You know, you'll take over the same line in a couple of years. Um, and I said, yeah, I'm in. Sold. And, and then about a week later, Shane Gwaltney calls and said, hey, I got Clint Gillespie's leaving Spirit. And I got called to take the Spirit job. You know, are you coming? I was like, man, I just took this job at Cavaliers. And he's like, well, you know, what if we make you the caption head? And I'm 22 at this point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so I was like, wow, that's intriguing, you know. And I remember debating. I was student teaching at the time. Uh, and I was debating with a, a supervising teacher, like, man, what do I do? Do I take this Cavalier job? Do I want to teach the top echelon student? Or do I take this other job, you know, where I'm, I'm running things and I have to learn that skill set? And he didn't really give me an answer. But I, I ended up taking, obviously, the spirit job. And I just felt as though that would take me more out of my comfort zone. You know, I, I could have gone to Cavaliers and been the second or third snare tech and taught a system that I was comfortable with, or I can kind of have to try and develop my own thing in spirit. And I just felt like in the long run, 
I would become a better teacher faster uh, by doing the spirit thing and called Jim Ancona and it was the shortest conversation I've ever had. It was real awkward. I remember calling Dustin afterwards. I was like, Jim, I'm, I'm going to take the spirit thing. He's like, cool, great, thanks. And then hung up. I was like, oh, God, what did I do? Is Jim furious? Um, but they took the, took the spirit gig. And then we were there uh, three years. And we did really well. That 08 spirit line, uh, I'll defend to my dying day. Those guys were, were killer. A lot of good talent. Oh, um, now we had some struggles. We went 10 snares and six quads, Ooh. which might have been a mistake. That's Bold. hefty. Uh, very it bold. Was it was bold, too bold. Bold um, strategy there, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a spoiler alert. It didn't really play out for us. Um, and then 11 or 10, we had a great season as well. And then uh, Paul Rennick obviously left Phantom after 2010. Um, I think Shannon kind of proven himself in DCI that he could put out good drum lines. Obviously, Mystique was fantastic through all those years. Um, and then we got the call to try, check out the Phantom thing. And I wasn't the caption there, I think. When they hired Shane, it was following Paul. Paul's a do-it-all. Paul's a unicorn. You know, he's he's going to teach it, and he's going to ride it. He's going to do all the stuff, which is just really rare these days. Um, and I think they kind of expected that of Shane. So I was kind of a – I didn't have a title, but probably battery coordinator. Maybe be the role when I was there. I'd kind of run battery stuff, and Shane would be in the box. Um, and we were there for two years. And that was a tough gig, man. That was a tough one. Following Paul, it's, you know, like following Michael Jordan playing shooting guard yeah. for the Bulls. You Big know, shoes to fill. Yeah. So we, we learned a lot, you know, um, but it was, it was tough. I'm not going to lie. Those were the tough summers. And I, again, I was still young. I was still probably 24, 25. Um, and so just trying to figure some stuff out. So did that. It took a summer off in 13. Uh, so and it went back, back to gym. We actually went to Nepal, me, Casella, um, and another friend who teaches drum corps writes at the Colts now, Mark Hunter, uh, teaches with me at Van, Vandegrift. We went hiking to Nepal for like three weeks. So took 13 off, did that, and then got a call. I remember I got a text from Scott Coder, uh, really well-known program coordinator for Vanguard. Uh, I was going to see the movie theater broadcast in 13. He just texted and said, hey, would you be interested in teaching drum corps next summer? And I said, sure, let me know. And then I got a call from Mike McIntosh after that. And I jumped on in 14, and then 15, they made me the caption head and was there for a couple of years. So. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. Never a good, never a bad thing to get a call from, from Macintosh and be like, hey, you want to come you wanna teach together? Uh, just such a smart dude. Another, I would say, great arranger that just uses space and time really, really well. Yeah. It, it was his books and Shane's books are really similar in terms of. There's a lot of metric modulation, a lot of rhythm changes in the hands. Um, I remember talking to Tim Maynard about that, another outstanding teacher that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, but Tim taught at Mystique for years and years, taught those blue coats lines with Mike, you know. Um, and I think we talked about it a lot. Like the connection between those two arrangers are very similar. Like I said, lots of hand speed changes. So it worked out well. Like I said, I enjoyed it. That was 2014 in Cavaliers, and yeah, I stayed there through 2018. So. So during all that time that you're kind of shifting around and obviously marching through figuratively, uh, you're like kind of drum corps that you're working with. You're also kind of moving around locationally as far as like what you're doing high school wise as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I started in, I guess my first job out of college was in Nashville at Harpeth high school. 
which oh. I had never heard of until I was internet stalking you, um, doing like some research. <laughs> and then I stumbled upon some YouTube videos that Bill Bachman had posted. And I knew that the timeline that he posted it was matched like your, your biography or whatever. And I was just laughing watching these videos of this high school and I'll let you explain it. But I was just like, first of all, this kid looks like he's 20 in this high school video. <laughs> and these kids are playing stuff that high school kids do not typically play. And at a level that they for sure don't typically play it. Yeah. I gotta say the- anyone that has not seen this, the videos out there, Harpeth, 2009 nine right evan 10 i think it was 2010 well nine or 10 whatever nine or 10 they were they were good both years i mean he sends me this video today while i'm sitting there working and i'm just i just start laughing alone in my kitchen like it's just dumb everyone needs to go check this out so sorry (laughs) didn't mean to step on you there joe go ahead no you're good man no that was that was and i gotta give credit to the teacher that was there before me uh guy named butch simmons like a nashville drummer um it taught lessons at this like small i'm talking small school uh, I would be considered a 1A school, maybe 50 kids in the band program, but they had this slam and like four, four snare, two quad, five bass drum, probably nine or 10 in the pit total. Um, they would do it indoor. I wrote, I wrote drill for them. Uh, and like, I guess it was 07. They called me in to write drill and I did that. And I think the director, Butch was trying to, was trying to take a step back. Um, and they called me like, you want to kind of be the percussion director, which would mean I would teach there full time in the middle school at the high school. And just do lessons to kind of create a salary pretty much for myself and write the show stuff, you know, for the fall and for the winter and write the drill, kind of do it all, all in house. Um, and I did, I took the job and, but the kids could play and they were young. Like my first year, the guy who you talking about, it looks like he's 20, was a sophomore. Um, and then we had this little freshman, James Bivens. I remember him, just killer player. And they just had hands, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we just kept pushing. It's one of those things when you, you're like, man, these kids are silly good. And I just kept feeding them exercises. Uh, and I kind of had to figure out a process. Like, we, I know we'll get to Vandegrift stuff here probably in a little bit, but I kind of had to sit down and write an exercise packet for the first time by myself. You know what I mean? I kind of figure out a structure. And we did that. And it was me by myself. I taught the pit. I taught the battery. I wrote the battery and the pit. Um, but we just kind of pushed as far as we could. And the first year we went open class. And the group, I think we won the Indy Regional, the Nashville Regional. And then I think we ended up at 12th in finals. Uh, and then the next year, I think we ended up fourth in finals at open class. And then I, a friend of mine from college took a job at George Rogers Clark uh, up in the Lexington area. And I, like, who are we going to get to replace? Who's going to take over this gig? Like, these kids are ready to go. Like, they're ready to play. Whoever takes this job has got an easy gig. And I remember talking to Dustin Schletzer again. He said, man, I think Bill's looking to teach. And I called Bill up and said, hey, you want to check it out? I remember Bill came to a rehearsal and he just took the drum line for like an hour and he was kind of still on the fence about taking the gig. This is what it kind of felt like from my end. And he drummed with him for an hour and he came back in the office. He was like, I'll take the gig. I think I can make this work. And it was like, it was cool. So I still, I still wrote and it was so, for me, it was so awkward. I'm writing quad parts for Bill and I'm like, <laughs> you know, which is like, I'm just going to put it on drum too. Like Bill, I know you're going to, I'm not going to write the rounds, man. You just got this. And, uh, <laughs> And I did the indoor show for him too. And the, what you, I think the video you're referencing is the fall show. <laughs> um, and I just, I remember writing that, that drum solo in like the back of a car, like on the way to something with my family, like just cranking it out. And then Bill reworks some of the stuff, especially the quad rounds. Um, and the kids were just fun. And I remember getting texts all year because I was moving to Kentucky at the time, getting texts all year. People being like, dude, what is going on? 
these kids are silly. And it was just, it was just a fun, a fun group, man. Awesome students, great situation. And Bill's obviously a fantastic teacher as well. And it was, it was a good time. Awesome. Awesome. So you briefly did a, a brief stint, came back home to Kentucky. Then when did you make the, the trek down to Texas? I think that was, let's see, 2012, I think was my first year in Texas. Uh, like I said, the Kentucky thing, you know, I'm still good friends with that guy today, but it just wasn't necessarily the best situation. You know, the feeder program and just, it was tough. The money was there. Like I was able to, when I was doing in Nashville, I was kind of what I call the drumline hustle, which I was, I was doing, you know, I was teaching at Austin P State, their drumline. I was teaching at Harpeth. You know, I was kind of putting all these pieces together to kind of create a salary. Um, and what GRC came to me at with was, we will pay you, pretty much a band director salary to just come here and be our guy. And that was very intriguing to me. And it was like, I was, try- was trying to get married at the time. So looking for, for some stability and I took the job, but it just realized it wasn't in the long run, it wasn't going to be the right thing. And again, Eric Johnson, we we're at the Nashville regional and Eric pulled me aside and Westfield high school in Houston. Uh, Jason Hall, who used to judge was leaving Westfield. Um, and I knew their guard director, Casey Michael through Phantom. And he's like, are you interested in this? I was like, I don't know. Should I take this job in Texas? And Eric was really funny. He's like, Joe, do you, do you like retirement? Do you like health insurance? Do you want to teach drums? And I was like, I guess, yeah. He's like, go to Texas. <laughs> so so that sealed the deal. And I, I flew down we flew to Houston. We checked out the job. Uh, we watched that group record for Honor Band. And the win ensemble was unbelievably good. But it just didn't feel necessarily right. Something was off about it. And then I got a, a call from, actually, the director at Harpeth called me. And then my buddy, Eric Willie again at Southwind, called and said, hey, my buddy, uh, Dr. Rob Parks, is leaving Newman Smith High School in Dallas. You know, you would love Andy, the head director. And I called Andy, and I'll never forget the conversation. Andy was just like, hey, man, we need a guy. You know, the, the school is real chill. He's like, you know, I could, I could walk around the school with my pants off probably, and no one would care. Like, you should work here. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I just laughed and I was like, man, that's what I'm looking for. I just want, I just want a good environment. You know what I mean? And so I took that job. I, I didn't even go out to the school. I didn't do anything. I just said, I'm in. That sold me, you know, that kind of personality, that kind of vibe. And then moved to Dallas in 2012 and have been in Texas since. So I did a little stalking on the Newman Smith High School too. Also another another good program. Uh, but we'll, we'll jump ahead a little bit because I do want to get in to uh, the Vandergriff stuff just because it's obviously a pretty big staple name in the the marching band world in the country, especially of late. And maybe this is just my naiveness of not being super nationally known on all the band, but it feels like it's been pretty much thrust at, to the top of the last like four or five years. Like I didn't even know about the school and all of a sudden I know everything about the school and I'm watching all these videos on flow marching of these kids and they're winning BOA Grand National and stuff. So what year did you start out at Vandergrift? It was 2016. So this is my sixth year at Vandergrift. Awesome. So, yeah, it's, it's, and I think it's funny. Flow marching started in 2016. Flow marching's Austin based. I think kind of the, all the moons aligned a little bit in terms of the exposure that Vandergrift started to get really quickly. And we also had a big jump up in 16. The group was what we call a 5A school uh, leading up to that. And then 2016 was their first year in 6A, which is with all the crazy good programs at Texas, you know, the Hebrons, the Marcuses, the Flower Mounds, 
we're all in that 6A category. So we that was a state year for us. In Texas, it's kind of weird. Every other year is a state marching contest. Um, so that's kind of what that was. So, yeah, it all happened. Everything kind of blew up in 16 my first year. And I just didn't know any better. I just kept working hard and trying to make the group sound good. And, you know, here we are. Yeah, Texas is such like a, a unique setup for a marching band because I know a little bit about the UIL scene just because um, we had our friend Mike Bishop on previously who talked about yeah. at Cedar Park and stuff. Um, and everything with UIL is connected to the state the same way that athletics are, which is not how it is in Kentucky and probably not in a lot of states as well. But like the UIL circuit is like governed by like the same people that govern Texas football from my understanding. Um, it's all together. Yeah. It's all one big uh, university interscholastic league and they do cheer football, basketball. It's, it's yeah. Like I said, it's one big governing body for all these extracurricular activities. And then there's all these like districts, like I guess it's ISD independent school district. I'm not sure what the acronym stands for, but like you guys are in the same like Leander ISD with like mm-hmm. Leander and Cedar park and Rouse and Vandergrift. And like, I'm just like, how does all this work? You're not even in the same city, but you're all in the same district or like, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just, everything's bigger, you know, growing up from a small town in Kentucky, like I said, everything. So a lot of the school districts here, like where I grew up was Callaway County and Callaway County high school was its own school district. That was it. It was Callaway County and that's it. Uh, in Texas, you've got these large districts that are just feeding large groups of kids, you know, and we're six, eight schools. So we have almost 3000 students. But yeah, in our school district alone, uh, Leander ISD, it's like you said, Rouse, Vista Ridge, just went to Grand Nats, made finals. Another outstanding band program, uh, percussion program, Leander High School, Cedar Park. And we're all just right next to it. We play each other in football. We see each other pretty much every weekend in contest. And I mean, every weekend is is brutal. No one no one is bad. And it's it's motivating and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, you guys do some some crazy stuff too with like your. We'll get into like the Dripping Springs Lone Star things here in a second. But what's the? I guess what's the setup like? Because I know Texas is different from a lot of states, at least especially in those programs that are very prolific in how the kids start. Like, do you work with the middle school at all? Or are you just only at the only at the high school? Do you like communicate with like your feeders? and just like teach percussion ensemble all day what's uh what's the gig like no we've got we have two middle schools that directly feed to our high school and that's kind of unique a lot of times in these larger school districts you'll have middle schools that feed two separate high schools and kind of a split feeder as they call them um we're really fortunate at Vanderbilt we have two middle schools that directly feed to us so every we know that every kid in that middle school is going to go to Vanderbilt high school um uh, I do one middle school, Four Points Middle School, which is across the street from Vandegrift. And then we actually have someone that kind of helps out, does lessons at the high school, and pretty much does the middle school stuff for us at Canyon Ridge Middle School. Uh, both middle schools are fantastic, great teachers there. Uh, both have played Midwest in the past, I guess. I think Four Points played maybe seven years ago. I think Canyon Ridge played, I think, around the same time. Um, but, yeah, we're very fortunate to have really good feeders. And that's kind of the secret, secret, secret sauce is – if you got good middle schools, your high school is going to be really good. Um, so, but that's kind of how that works. I go, like I said, I do one of the middle schools. Somebody else does the other one. My day is kind of split between Vandergrift High School and Four Points Middle School. 
Yeah, that that does really seem to be the recurring theme with other people we've talked to in Texas or California. All the really successful high schools, they all say the same thing that it starts with starts in sixth grade or earlier. If you've got that whole system in place to start training kids on the fundamentals that early, they're going to walk in at fourteen. And you know, I mean, Kentucky, where I've taught primarily, it's like fourteen-year-olds that show up freshman year don't know how to mark time properly. They can't they can't keep their feet in time to eights half the time. So it's like you're just starting so much farther ahead of everybody when you have that middle school system in place. So at this point, I'm just convinced that that's just the way – that's the secret. It's nothing It's nothing complicated. It's not rocket science. Just start them young. No. Well, go ahead, go John. Ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's different. Like what, what I knew probably as a freshman in high school is probably what these sixth graders know in Texas. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, I feel like everything is like shifted up a, um, a level of education. Like – these middle schools are learning what I probably learned in high school, honestly, like until I got farther advanced into drum corps. But these high school kids in, in, in Texas are doing what colleges are doing. But like the progression ensemble literature we're programming is, is college lit. You know what I mean? And the rumor literature these kids are playing, it, it's, it's nuts, man. And I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't just look around and be like, this is crazy. Um, yeah. Like today, not to go off on a tangent, like today I, I came home and my wife was like, how's your day? I was like, it was weird. It was awesome. Like we had uh, Jason Fetting, director of the Commandant's Own, was conducting our <laughs> wind ensemble today. Like he was in Austin, and he came by and conducted. And Omar Thomas, who's a a pretty prolific or a composer right now, is commissioned this piece because the wind ensemble is playing Midwest, you know, in December. So, and then we had a girl that didn't show. She's doing a college visit, so I had to sight read this bass drum part on this new, brand new Omar Thomas. And Omar Thomas is here. He's he's in the rehearsal. So it's Omar Thomas, the composer. With Jason Fetting conducting and me playing concert bass drum on this like soca bass like Brazilian rhythm thing, and it was just like I just was so surreal. I got home and my I was still kind of like on cloud nine. You know, she's like, "How was your day?" I was like, "It was just the strangest thing just happened." <laughs> but like it's, but that's just Texas. Like it's it's weird. You know, these kids are getting so much information and great teaching and great gear and you know there and I'll, I'll say this too. Like there are really bad teachers in Texas too. Like, don't get it fooled. Like, it's not like there's all the magical teachers. There are fantastic teachers in the Midwest and the rest of the country. But the fact that we get our kids at sixth grade and can start those fundamentals that early really does give us a huge advantage over, over other programs. Yeah, I kind of equate it to the California thing. Like, the bands that you know in Texas and, like, the percussion ensembles that you know in California that are really prolific and stuff like that, you know them because they're really good and they're set up from their feeders but the ones that you don't know, it's because they're not set up the same way. And I, my wife is a middle school band director here too, and she, uh, she's listened to that, and I've listened to several of them too, just being in the same car. Those like after sectional podcasts with those uh, middle yeah. school band directors down in Texas. Who, I'm not who sure are who also they're in Leander ISD. Oh, there it is, of kidding. course, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but I've listened to those too, and them talk about like, oh yeah, when our kids start in these homogeneous classrooms where it's all clarinets for this class, all trumpets for this class, and. And it's just like, yeah, that makes so much sense when you're getting so much information. It's basically like taking private lessons from sixth grade with here in Kentucky. For most of the state, I'm sure it's pretty similar to like more rural areas where it's like the band director teaches all the instruments at the same time. Yeah. And we all learn together. That's, that's what I grew up with, man. And that's and it's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these kids are like they're taking lessons. Yeah. You know, they're, they're getting those individual that individual attention at a young age with lessons 
and they're getting a, like you said, all it's a percussion class. Like beginner class is percussion class, and we're going through. We're learning. We're learning a percussion ensemble right now for our Christmas concert. You know, and it's it's just, it's nuts, man. And and I do, and I'll be honest with you, not to go on another rant, but like I, you get in text and some of these people are spoiled. Like like, oh, my kids are terrible, or this is, and you're like, you have no idea. <laughs> you know, me like, in sixth grade back there, the teachers like don't make any noise while I'm teaching. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're just like you know, like you just don't know like it. Like I said, growing up, it sounds like you're in a similar situation. Like one one guy is teaching the entire sixth grade band at the same time. You know, and that's yep. what it was when I was in Kentucky and in, in Tennessee. And it's yeah, we yep. are blessed. We were fortunate. Someone a long time ago fought all the fights for us, and and won them because like I said, and we've got multiple directors. You know, it, it's an unfair like at our high school. There were four band directors. You know, uh, me Shout being out. one of them. Katie Van Doren, March Crown with me. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's funny. I was talking about that earlier. She's like, she's like, you guys want to go to dinner? Because we had uh, Jason Fetting was in and Omar. And I was like, no, I'm going to go head home. I'm going to, you know, read stories to the kiddo. And I got to do this podcast. And she's like, what is this? The Aged Out podcast. I'm like, And Evan Van Doren was there as well. Uh, and they were both yeah. like, oh, we know, we know those guys. It's like, awesome. Small world. Yep. So, yeah, Evan, um, Evan aged out before I got to Crown, but he was around. He was still helping teach. And then Katie was there both years on March. So I love those people. Good people. Yeah. But again, I, we're just very fortunate, man. Very fortunate to teach where we teach and to have the resources that we have. So Texas is also, I do want to revisit like some blue code stuff here in a minute, but I, I just still am so fascinated. Like you guys have a pretty crazy, like marching band timeline too, because where UIL, and this is my understanding, like governs marching band, there's all these restrictions on like when you can rehearse as far as like the season, like you have like a dead season and then like how much you can rehearse. Is that correct? We, yeah, we have an eight hour rule during the week. Uh, once school starts, we get eight hours max. And then we also cannot learn drill uh, until August 1st. What? So, <laughs> so like, man? do you have like band camp in July where you're just like inside learning music? We will do. We typically do a drum camp usually the third or fourth week of July, uh, and the drums come in first. And so does our our vision uh, vision dance team, which is kind of our color guard, but they don't spin. Uh, again, it's from our dance department, um, so they're all dancers. They're they're phenomenal. And Katie Hopkins teaches that. Does a great job. Um, but we do, yeah, we do a, a music camp typically with drums, and then the winds typically come in the next week, and then. Ends up being like two or three days of just basics, learning how to march, and then we're learning drill usually on August first, and then we're, away we go. Wow! Do you guys do anything like at the semester prior, like the spring semester prior to that fall? We do. We do what we call our our freshman camp, um, which is we pretty much just do after school in May, usually the third week of May or so, and every night we'll just freshmen come over and we start learning show. And we try and play our opener. We put our opener together, and we, at the end of the week on Friday, we do a concert, and we play our, our fall opener. Usually probably 20 clicks under, you know, if not 30 clicks, depending on the year, um, and just put it out there. But it's just good to get the, the, get the kids on campus, get them included into our culture, you know, have them drink the Kool-Aid, as we say, you know, and get excited, and then send them off for the summer, and then see them again in late July. That is that is just killer. Like, that's so different than, than here. Obviously, you know that. From being, it's like, all right, July, here we go, band camp, boom, 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 let's go. Uh, yeah, man, that's wild. But 
sounds like there's just obviously you have the killer directors and killer staffing i'm sure i know jp works with you guys um funny jp story and this may be like a slightly mandela effect thing i'm not sure if i'm remembering this correctly but i have this memory of me finding his dot book at cavaliers in 2010 like laying on the ground outside of the bus at allentown because we did two allentown shows that year one at the very beginning and then one at the end and i just found this dot book and i was like oh jp gaza i was like all right all right and then i walked on the cavaliers bus and I was like, hey, I found this drill book out here. I think it belongs to JP, which I guess in like Cavaliers speak is like, I found the Holy Grail. Like, dude, you lost your freaking dot book? Like, you idiot. Like, <laughs> No, dude, that's that was a big deal. I remember in, in the Fiedler days, if you didn't have your dot book on the field, like you were in for it, man. Fiedler would, would sprint down from the stands and get in your face. I mean, it was a, you never forgot your dot book. So yeah, JP was probably in some serious... Serious trouble for not having that. Well, I guess. Well, it was at the show, and I guess maybe when he was loading his drum up or something, it maybe I don't, I'm assuming it like fell out of his drum case or something. But I and I'm not positive that I'm remembering it that it was his, but it was somebody's. So if JP hears that, you can you can confirm or deny that. But. <laughs> I'll ask him, man. Yeah, we're <laughs> we got a great staff, man. We got, and I thought like this year we kind of it all settled in. We had the COVID year, obviously, and uh, but JP helps out with the battery uh, after school stuff. Uh, and then Mark Hunter, who moved down during COVID, and Mark's March Mark uh, March Cavaliers like ninety seven to two thousand on snare, killer snare drummer went to UK, um, awesome rumba player as well, and now teaches the front ensemble, battery arranger with the Colts. So super fortunate to have him. Mark the Colts Newgate. sounded great this summer. Yep, dude, they did. Those guys were awesome. They got it's all Mystique staff. I felt like the book was so like appropriate. And not in a negative way, but yeah, yeah. And they just like played it with really good quality. So I don't know, but I'll I'll tell him he said that he's, he's super talented. Does a lot of lessons for us now. And then Marcus Newdigate, I think Todd Crown's pit for several years, kind of some electronic stuff comes in once a week. And we're just really fortunate to have a lot of older teachers now within our drum staff that just kind of come out because they like to do it. You know, like JP works at a pharmacy now, this uh, tech stuff. So I think drum drumline's kind of his hobby. You know, and his escape from right. you know his his daily daily life. So he comes out and teaches. Man, does a great job. Kids love him, and just feel very fortunate. A lot of good teachers. So, well, we got. I have one quick high school band related question, and then we'll transition. It'd be remiss if we didn't touch on Bluecoats as an alumni myself. But what's the thought? Why Mash Grip? Uh, the guy that was there before me did it. That's it's it's not anything more than that, and I, I get asked that question all the time. And when I went to Newman Smith, it's the same thing. Um, you know, I, I if we'd gone traditional, I think it would have set us back a little bit. Uh, fair, fair. And, and the and the guy before me, I'll be honest, and I I know I've said this a couple times, but was another outstanding teacher, a guy named Paul Pape, um, and really set that program up. You know, so all the success I think we saw in sixteen and seventeen and eighteen was because the foundation was so strong from what Paul did. Um, and it just didn't seem like it made sense to make the change. You know, and no one no one cared or has cared on a judge's tape or anything like that. And, you know, it's funny. I did, actually did a, a, a panel discussion on Tuesday with Julie Davila, you know, with Brian Zader, uh, Kenan Wiley. It was about the 6A judging system. And the last question somebody posed was, does match scripts get you less points? You know, something along <laughs> those lines. And, 
and we just all laughed out loud. And because again, Marcus High School's match grip, Vista Ridge is now match grip. Uh, we're match grip. Uh, yeah. Ronald Reagan, round, uh, Reagan. Keller. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of like a it's an efficiency thing. I mean, Angst has had his snare drummers play match grip at Dartmouth for years. Like it's just it's a utility thing. You can move kids around as needed. They all know how to play the right grip, no matter what drum you've got them playing that year. Like it's just it it makes sense. But I mean, obviously, I'm a snare drummer and I I love traditional grips, so I'm biased. But from a utility standpoint, like I definitely get why groups choose that. And I've always it's, it's, go ahead, Joe. I would say it's just for me, it's just faster. I can hit the ground running because yeah. those kids are drumming in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I could just go. Um, versus having to teach the fundamentals of, of traditional grip, which is, it is an awkward grip to learn. And it takes a lot of time to build those chops. And so it's just, for me, it's just quicker. And we don't have that much time. We have eight hours a week, you know? Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I think, you know, in Texas and in drum corps too, and we're, we're going to get to that, but like we all have about the same time. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's, that's the one thing that's equal between every single group. Talent might not be equal. The book might not be equal, but time is equal. And if I go in match grip, I can move faster and I can be more efficient with my teaching. I think that's the best choice for my students. Yeah. I mean, every time I want to remind myself how difficult it is to learn to play traditional grip when I'm working with younger students, I just put my right hand in traditional grip for a second and I'm like, oh my God, how did I ever like figure this out? This is so, (laughs) now granted, match grip is ingrained in my right hand at this point, but I just like relive the awkwardness of it and I'm like, oh man, this is... This is odd. It, yeah, and, and the only bummer, and, and to the defense of it, though, like for traditional grip, like the only bummer is I know that my students would ha- are at a disadvantage if they choose to go to drum corps. True, true. That's the, that's the only negative thing for me. But, again, in terms of the overall success of our program, I think match grip sets us up. Not that it's the right answer, but I think it sets our group up the best. Yep. And I would say, too, like if your kids are taking private lessons and like learning how to play traditional grip outside of like normal band time – if they are taught how to make good sounds and play with good technique, like they'll pick it up faster no matter what. I think so. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, yeah. But anyway, we'll, right. uh, we'll segue. Yeah. Let's, let's move this to the blue coast discussion. This is something we got to make sure that's where you currently are, right? You went from 18 was your last year at Cavies, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then, how did the transition to Blue Coats happen? Like, how'd you end up there, basically? And was were you there in nineteen, as well? I was. Yeah. Okay, nineteen so was my ha- first year. Yeah. Do you know Roger, like Tom Rarick? How did that whole thing happen? You know, it's funny. Uh, I didn't know Roger, and I didn't know any of the drum staff, the teaching staff. <laughs> um, and I remember, I think it was Joe Woody. I don't know if you know Joe. Oh Joe, yeah, uh, Joe. Joe. We marched Joe with Woody. him. Yeah, so Joe, I, I think it was Joe, and like we went to our first camp, and Joe, I just, and he wasn't trying to be rude. He just looked at me, he's like, "Hey, man, like, how did you get hired here? I'm like, what?" <laughs> I can totally see that. Me I can too. see his face. That's that's a Joe Woody question. And I said it wasn't. And I, I think out of all the people on that staff, I'm probably closest with Joe. We always seem to be on the road together. Um, but the the story is this: I I knew I wanted to change it from Cavaliers. You know, I just wanted an adjustment. We don't have to go into that, but I wanted to make a change. Um, and I, I knew I was going to leave that drum corps. And I texted Matt Jordan, uh, who does electronics at Blue Coats. And I think at the time was doing the ensemble coordinating, or was an ensemble director, or what Ryan Kilgore does. I can't remember the official title, but mm-hmm. they pretty much, which is really unique to Blue Coats, and I think it's brilliant. 
They are just responsible for running rehearsal and full ensemble and putting the whole thing together. Uh, but Matt was in that role, and I think he was sliding into the electronics role because Vince Oliver was leaving Blue Coats, I think, after 2018 as well. So anyway, I texted Matt. I think it was like Monday of finals. And maybe, honestly, now that I think about it, it probably happened at Basie's too. Uh, <laughs> Everything happens just, at Basie's. It's coming back to me now. Yeah, I remember talking to Lindsey Kuzmerzak, uh, who's the guard captain of the Blue Coats, and I taught with Kuz at at Southwind in 07, at Phantom in 11 and 12. And I was like, I, you know, I think I'm looking for a change. Uh, she's like, teach here. You know, and I think she maybe even yelled at Matt Jordan or text Matt, like, we're going to get you here. You're going to come teach here. So I think I texted Matt on Monday, like, hey, man, I don't know what roles are available. If you need any help, you know, what our options are. But I, you're a good friend of mine because I taught with Matt at Spirit 08. He was the fun ensemble tech. Uh and I knew Matthew Mystique in just the middle Tennessee area. And I was like, I don't know what you're in- if you're interested, but I'd, I'd love to teach if you got something. And I know Tom, Tom Rarick, honestly, through fantasy football. Huh. Uh, he's, been, he's been in our league. We've got this league with, like, Sean Mack, uh, Josh yeah. Nelson. Uh, it's a bunch of old drum court dudes. Mark Hunter, like I said, who's it? Uh, Sean Womack. Uh, just a bunch of old drum court friends around this league. And Tom joined the league maybe five years ago. Uh, fantastic at fantasy football. Usually has a pretty good team. I think this year's a little rough. We're, both of our teams are terrible. Um, but anyway, so I knew Tom, and I think I texted Matt and said I was interested. And then Tom texted me about five minutes, five minutes later saying, dude, I don't, I don't know what it means. i got to talk to Roger, but would love to have you involved in some capacity. Um, I think Ryan Anderson was the battery coordinator. Um, oh, man, his name's escaping me all of a sudden. Uh, Center at Rhythm X was at Blue Coats before Tom me. Tom Gasparini. Tom Gasparini. I'm sorry. I knew the name. It was the tip of my Gass. We marched with him, too. He, yeah, Tom was, I think, was, was leaving the activity. I think he was going back to school when I was told. I never met Tom, really. Uh, maybe just, like, through him hanging out or coming, out, coming to say hello in 19 or 21. Um, but he was leaving, and they, did, they had a hole open up. And I think Roger gave me a call, and I talked to Roger. I'm, I'm, I'm down for whatever. I mean, at this point... In my life, you know, I'm not looking to be the guy that's that's running everything. You know, maybe that'll happen again at some point. But I've I've got a wife, I've got a four and a half year old daughter, uh, and I just love the activity. So when I talked to or to Roger, I just said, "Hey, man, I'll I'll teach the snares, I'll teach bottom bass drum. Like I don't I don't care. I just I just want to get my fix. I want to go teach some drum corps, come out, be fun, uncle. You know, teach for a couple weeks, and then come home. And it kind of worked out that they had a position and. So it started there in 19, and then obviously 20 was the COVID year, and then did two weeks of tour in 21, and I, I'll probably do about the same this year, I would guess, you know, two to three weeks, and go in to fill the spot and run around and teach some drums. So cool. Nice. Cool. Really quick, funny Ryan Anderson story. Um, when he was teaching at Crown, um, they were rehearsing near my house in Kentucky, and my parents were out of town. And my parents were totally cool with this. They know about it. But I was staying there, like, at home alone. And it was a pretty decent-sized house. We had, like, a pool and all this stuff. And so I, like, texted Lee and, like, all those dudes that were on uh, on tour at the time. I was like, hey, you guys are staying here overnight, blah, blah, blah. What's the schedule? Do you want me to come? Do you guys want to get away? And, like, Lee Bettis and, like, Ryan Anderson and a bunch of the staff, like, I went and picked them up. 
and they all came back to my parents' house, and Ryan left like a bunch of really valuable stuff at my house <laughs> that I had to like mail back to him. Ryan, so. dude, I, I didn't know. Like I said, I went to that drum staff, man. I, I remember flying in for the first camp, and I knew I didn't know anybody, man. Like I said, I, I knew Tom and I knew Matt Jordan, <laughs> uh, and it was it was a little intimidating, you know what I mean? But those guys are Ryan was super welcoming. Joe Woody, same thing. Like uh, Ryan's just pure energy when he teaches. Yeah, you know, and just a fantastic teacher. Joe Woody, same thing. Suvin, Roger, all those guys, man. Um, and I was excited, kind of similar to the Cavaliers. Whenever I went from Brett to Jim, you know, for me that was always exciting, and it was kind of like I don't teach this system that Roger teaches. You know, this is foreign to me. Um, but the more tools I have in my toolbox, I think the better teacher I become. So I, I kind of jumped on that and said, you know, this is a different system than what, what I did at Cavaliers, but. I'm going to go in and just try and be a sponge and just check it all out and see what it is. And, you know, there might be some, some, some things I love and bring back to Vandergrift. There might be some things I don't love and don't bring back. But the more I expose myself to different things and take myself out of my comfort zone, I think the better teacher I become. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a blast, man. And I, I think Tom's writing, you know, I'll just go on. A, I, just, I, think it's, I think it's a 10. Yeah, it's, dude, it's, my, it's, it's, it's fun to play. Yeah. It's fun to listen to. I'm a, we're big Rarick fans on this podcast. Yeah, I just think it's different. I think it's fresh. I think the rhythms he chooses, I think the way he coordinates the front ensemble stuff, the battery stuff, I just think it's unique. Yep. Uh, and, it, and it's just fun to teach. And and Tom is the most, I, I don't know, just a great human being. I, oh, yeah. It, it, just, it was just so great working. I remember that in 19, I just feel like, uh, I think Roger jumped off the road for a couple of days, and it was me and Ryan Kilgore, uh, maybe Brad Palmer in the box, run a percussion ensemble. And just how flexible the staff was, and it's like, can we change this bass voicing because the form was too spread? And I was like, well, I need to call, I need to call Tom before I do anything. And Ryan's like, just change it, man. And then I, I did, and I felt so weird. Like, and I called Tom. <laughs> I was like, Tom, is that okay? And Tom's like, dude, hundred percent trust. Do what you need. And it was just such a great, it's, it's a great environment. And I think that drum corps. I know I'm biased. I just feel like it's a very special place right now. And I think the design team that are in place. And the staff that are in place, I just think it's really special right now. And I think it reminds me of those early 2000s Cavaliers, honestly. Like, there's just some really brilliant, kind people in the right places. And I just, it's just, it's just an honor to be a part of. So, also shout out Mike Scott, who marched with us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike's, and Mike Scott's a huge part of that, man. You know, <laughs> super organized, gets it done. Like I said, it's, it's a really great place to be, man. And, um, really happy to be there. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna second the. Uh, you wanted to go there to get a new experience because they they definitely have a unique combination of people across the entire well organization, but also just more specifically like the percussion segment of it, like people from all different kinds of groups, backgrounds. Like it's like a, I don't know. It's just there's no way to really put into words. It's just a very unique setup, and the way they approach it, I think, is different from the way. Uh, just from talking to different people on here and just observing myself and whatever, it's very unique and different, and it obviously works. It's cool. You always know you're going to see something cool. Whenever you walk up to them in the lot, you're going to see something unique on the field. Like, they've just been doing a killer job. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm biased because I marched there, but I'll be the first to say, like, I'll still criticize when criticism is, is warranted, but it's just cool to see what they've been doing and innovating over the past like five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. And it's a perfect marriage, you know, and I, and I think going into that, you know, 
you got two entities of Roger and Tom and Roger's warm up routine and kind of what he's created with that, you know, yep. and, and at first from the outside, I was like, what's, what is that? I want to kind of learn more about it. And I think, and I'm speaking for myself, my observation, it reminds me of kind of what Murray Gusick did in those early 2000s Vanguard lines, mm-hmm. like 02, 03, 04, where like talking to those guys that marched like 04 Vanguard, 03 Vanguard, which is some of my favorite lines, they'll talk about like, once we got to the warm-up book, the show was easy because it was so many challenges inside, like all the flambo vocabulary with flamus, you know, with cheesy poofs with those long roll exercises. So the book felt easy in their hands. And, and you told us earlier, like the golden age of drum corps or drum lines. And like, I think the vocabulary has changed so much in my mind. There's no way you could recreate what Murray did, but I think Roger's done that to an extent yeah. by making this crazy hard warm-up packet. And I feel like the members get through that warm-up routine with Ram 95, with uh, <laughs> some of that Spavos. stuff is nuts. Yeah, I don't know what they call it, but the whole Susie, you knew Susie. Wild. They play that, and then the new A2 we did this past year, Savate. Like, I think the members are like they get through that, and it's stupid hard. And not that Tom's music is easy by any means, because it's not. It's incredibly complex. But I think they get to that, and their hands are so well prepared. They get to the book. And the book feels very approachable to them. And I think that's kind of what's been created by both Roger and Tom. And that marriage has been great. And I think we've had, you know, we saw some success. The guys I thought that were fantastic this past year, you know, in a shortened season. And I thought 19, yeah. I thought they played really well. I was super happy with them. So, yeah. It's yeah, I'm been... a little bummed that we didn't get to experience that 2020 all vet snare line. Dude. Oh, man. That was... <laughs> That was the it first was... thing Evan and I texted each other when the season got called off. I was like, dude, they had an all vet snare line. I wanted, like I wanted it. The Instagram photos and they all have like, I'm like, oh shit. This, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> it was, dude, I, yeah. I remember we were talking about the, like texting them. It was like, bring your jerseys like <laughs> to camp. But we got to get a picture of this. And it yeah. was just, and there were reps. Like I remember uh, I can't remember the name of the, the place we do camps at. It's a small Ohio school. I'm sure it's probably the same school you guys did. It's, at. Um, I mean, like, oh, what's it called? I can see it. I can see the building in my head right now. I can, oh. It's old. Like, yes, they've old, been there like, forever. Classroom. They yes. have been and there like, forever. Oh. And we did a rep. Of sh- we did a rep of show music, and I remember there was it was like a it's like a five foot roll into a triplet roll at like one ninety two or something burning. And like it popped on like Saturday night at camp. Nice. And I remember, I remember, I remember Roger like let out an audible like, Whew. you know, like, <laughs> and it was just we were just we were just cranking it. We were working as like, it was gonna be silly. And there's yeah. just so much talent. And I, I think people ask me, like, how do you build a DCI line? I think the first thing is retention. If you yeah. can get members to come back year after year, that's like Cavaliers. I mean, in 2015, we were tenth in drums. We were. It was a rough year for that drum corps. Um, and then somehow, and I'll never forget this, I'm going to go on a, on a tangent on this, but uh, I remember the, the center snare and the center quad came and found me and Eric Reidenauer, who was the co-caption in 2015. Uh, Froman, uh, Talk Cavaliers Forever, uh, and they were like, what are we doing next year? we got to figure out, we got to get guys back, how we, how we make it next year better. And we had a core group of guys that came back from 15 to 16 to 17, and we saw that drumline jump from 10, I think we were 4th, Fourth in finals, I think, in 16, and then third in finals in 17, it's retention. And the fact that with Blue Coats, it was the same thing. We had this core group of guys that were coming back from 19, which was a great year, 
into 20, and it was just like, it just, it just didn't happen. Uh, but 21, man, I those guys were fantastic. I can't, I can't talk enough good things about them. What they did, the work ethic. Zach Wilson's a, a an all star. He, I mean, that, that, kid that kid's crazy. Has some yeah. of the best snare drum hands I've ever seen in my life. Like Ma- Emmanuel De Leon's up there. A couple other people. Like that kid's like probably one of the best of this whole generation of drum corps. It's just insane to watch him play. And, and what gets me about him, and I'll brag on that guy for a second, like, yes, I 100% agree, and then maybe the most humble and teachable student I've ever come across. Nice. You know, and that kid has, has the full right to be a prick. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I should say that word, but like, because he, uh. he, he's so good, but like when you give him feedback, it's like, oh, I'll work on that. Like, just so humble, and it's just so, that combination of things is so rare. Well, and I, did, that, I, I think that's why he is what he is. That right there is like the soundbite of the podcast. <laughs> that dude has every right to be a prick, and he just <laughs> isn't. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I want to po- touch on one thing, and then we'll close this out. We just passed the hour mark about five minutes ago, but who cares? We're having fun. Um, you were talking about how like Roger's warm-up packet is so difficult, kind of recreating what Murray Gussick did uh, at that time, and – it's so that's what I it, it illustrates something about this activity that I love about it and I think I know Evan has said this too at some point there's more than one way to skin the cat like I know extremely successful groups that have taken that way more complicated warm-up packet so by the time your book your hands get to the book they're just they feel amazing everything you play feels like butter and it feels easy but I've also seen groups extremely excel taking the approach of like all right we're going to have super basic fundamental exercises that give us a solid foundation and get our hands to feel nice and go right into the book. I mean, Rennick basically is that approach. And what's mm-hmm. he, four years in a row now? And then you've also got blue coats, which have been extremely successful taking the exact opposite approach. And it's like, it's, I just love that there's more than one way to do it. There's no real right answer. It's whatever system you put in place, whatever you want to build as a creative and an, as an educator, just it can work. If you just be consistent, be open-minded, like adapt. It's just so cool to me. No, and I agree. And, and just to preface it too, like I, my my observation with the Murray to Roger, I don't. Roger's never said that to me. You know, I don't know if that's what he was trying to do, or but that that's my impression of it. Um, no, and yeah. I agree. Like, and with the high school stuff, you know, like 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 if I were to teach a group right now, I probably wouldn't do the elongated exercise stuff. You know, just because I'm more of a, a concise, like small chunks you know, kind of guy. This is what, what makes sense in my brain. It's how I was brought up. Um, but I, and I'll be honest, I think some groups do that elongated stuff in drum corps that maybe aren't ready for it as well. I don't yeah. know if I can say that and not be, not to be controversial or no calling the goose, but Feel like free. some people, some people need those fundamentals, but blue coats, we're, we're in a sports situation where we have an insane amount of talent, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll, I'll say this and maybe I shouldn't say this as well. And, I'm drinking bourbon while I'm doing this. It's good for my throat. I got a cold, so. <laughs> right, um, right. The hot toddy. Uh, uh, yeah, but, but I, you know, I, the talent we had in 19, I remember being in that room, and just, just coming from Cavaliers, you know, there were 20 snare drummers in that, that Blue Coats room that I would have taken the Cavaliers in an instant. You know, the, the depth that Blue Coats are getting, and I think that is another testament to Roger and what Roger does in his system mm-hmm. and teaching a broken city and students – Students watch that warm-up lot from Blue Coats, and they want to do it. They want to be a part of it. And it draws a certain type of student 
And, you know, we just did a pace clinic um, this, this past weekend with Blue Coats. Saw that. You know, and, and talking to some of the other teachers there, like uh, Subin Varghese, who teaches the Blue Coats and teaches the Broken City as well. Like, you know, he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're looking at the quad and we got some guys from Pulse and Broken City coming out. Like, just the, the, the funneling of students that kind of want to be a part of that system. But that's, I think those students are attracted to Roger and that technique and that approach. Same with Paul. You know, Paul's got the troopers. You know, those kids like like that system. You know, you got North Texas. You know, you've got people that flock to that. And like you said, it's it's the system, whatever works for you. You know, and if you get hired, you know, somewhere, like do your system. You know, you don't hire a head coach not on Paul's own plays. You know, yep. and every system is different and it works for every single person. So it's, anyway. it's also to relate this to our Colin episode, we did two podcasts ago. You talked about how like people want to come as a member, be a part of that blue coats lot because the experience is fun to be in. It's fun to watch. It just, it just looks like a good time. They're playing cool stuff, playing hard stuff. They're, re- they're doing it very well. Like Colin actually touched on that a little bit, like, cause they did some of those lot tune type things with this mm-hmm. weird 2021 season. And he goes, man, Red's why Rumba wasn't remakes, I doing this? Remakes. Yeah, he literally said on here with us, he goes, Why I wish I'd been doing this for years. And I wonder if that's gonna I mean, Colin doesn't need any help recruiting with his resume at this point. Like he's gonna get talent no matter where he goes, just because of his yeah. name and his experience. But it'll be interesting t- to talk to him later. Like, is he seeing upticks in audition turnout? Is he seeing like more excitement? Because I loved watching them. It's it was a blast. I mean, it was just cool. It's a, that's a random little tangent, but well, no, oh, well. I think it reminds me of a story too. Like you guys know Dave Reeves, or know of Dave Reeves? No, I don't think um, so. And another great arranger, wrote for, wrote for Troopers, like around like oh eight, oh nine, two thousand ten. Great composer. Him and Jim Casella are very close. Um, but Dave was the caption head at, at Vanguard, I think in ninety nine, two thousand, oh one, in that area. In that area, um, and then Murray kind of came in in oh two, oh three, oh four. And talking to those guys that marched those lines, like Dave was pretty strict. You know, it was all wrist. The exercise book was pretty straightforward. And then Murray kind of came in in 02 and 03 and kind of opened it up. And and what I was told at least was Dave kind of came back and saw it and said, man, I I should have been more relaxed. I should have let the talent come out more. Let the talent yeah. of the individual player come out more. And I think that's that's what Murray did. And I think that's kind of what Roger's trying to do is let the talents of the members be shown and you don't necessarily see that with eight on a hand, you yeah. know, or dig it up, dig it up, dig it up, whatever, <laughs> you know, let the students kind of the talents be shown. And I think that's what Rogers doing. I think that's what Murray did. And I think there's something to be said about that. So, yeah, I, th- I think too, just like a, a closing statement for myself that emulates my perspective on like modern drumming versus maybe eighties, nineties drumming where those groups in the, 80s 90s were i'm not gonna put words in anybody's mouth but it looked like they were more concerned about looking a certain way than maybe i won't i don't want to say sounding a certain way but just like optimizing the efficiency of what the kid is how they're drumming because i do think there's a difference in like making sure everyone looks the exact same and making sure that everyone moves the exact same and you can still move the same without like all our heights aren't all nine to three if we get out our protractor and our ruler on the thing like what sound are you making what balance and blend are you making and how are we making it more efficient for these kids to like sound as good as they possibly can so no i 100 agree like you watching those old cavaliers warm-ups like 2000 
there's a great video I think Josh Naiman put out. It's like 30 minutes of like 2000 footage, which to me is just a gold mine. I love that drum line. It's one of my favorite drum lines of all time. And you, they play eights for like 20 minutes, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like a do, 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 but it, it is immaculate. And the way it looks from player to player is so good and so impressive. And, you know, that, that was the thing. And I remember talking about the look of the things. I mean, I think Paul's groups early on were kind of criticized for that, like not looking the same, you know, like you look at individual hands, but I, I'll, I'll say this too, a compliment to Paul Rennick. I, I don't think anybody's more consistent right now in the activity in terms of producing great lines and great looks. And I, and I know for him, you know, I, I remember talking to Scott Coder again, he came and helped out Vandegrift a couple of years ago and we were at the dinner and I just kind of said, Scott, like, what is Paul doing? Like, what is <laughs> playing he, Gallup? Like, yeah. But I mean, what is, what did you take away? Cause Scott was a program coordinator Cavaliers when they won all those years. And I was like, you've been around great drum lines. You know, when you walk in the room for the first time and watch Paul run a drum line thing or a snare section or whatever, what, what did you notice? What did you pick up on? And he was like, Joe, he's like, I watched Paul go down the line with every single player and they just all sounded exactly the same. Like the touch and like the interpret rhythms, the interpret roles. And he's like, that's what struck me was it wasn't about the hand setup. It wasn't about what their hands look like. They just sounded the same and they all bought into the sound. And that was it. And I was like, it was kind of a mind blowing moment for me. Like it is it, like you just said a second ago, it's just about the sound. And I think Paul is, again, I have so much respect for all the teachers in DCI, but I just, for him watching those groups every year, it's just like, how are you doing it? And it sounds like it's, it's just about playing the same way and creating the same sounds. Yep. I would say that's, so. that's all that really matters. Like if a judge is in the box, he's not going to, or if like the drum judges, they, they can't go past the <laughs> front sideline now. So it's like, they're not going to be close enough to give a crap. If some snare drummers left hands look a little different, it doesn't no, really just- matter. And they're just trying not to get nailed by a rifle. You know, or, <laughs> yep. I mean, they're not going to catch it. They just want to hear music. And, you know, and that's the thing. And the Blue Coats are trying to do the same thing. And I think Tom writes a great book. And hopefully in 2022, we'll play some great music, play it really, really well, and create some good sounds. So, Yeah. I know I'm excited for it. But uh, I think that's a good way to, good place to end it. Uh, Evan, you got anything left? I'm good, man. All right. Well, we'll close this out. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube. Drop us, drop a comment. Let us know what you think. Respond to it. Anything we talked about, uh, it all helps us. Share the videos. Uh, check the check us out on podcast services, um, social media, Patreon, LoneStarPercussion.com. Discount code aged out. Save ten dollars on a neighbor fifty dollars or more. Everybody wins. Uh, be look be on the lookout for a couple announcements of some new kind of content that Evan and I have been talking about doing like some practice tool things. We'll release a video here soon explaining that. Um, and then we're going to look at some merch. So be on the lookout for an Instagram post, go follow, follow us over there. Uh, looking into t-shirts and, uh, stickers for your drum pads, phone cases. Uh, yeah. So we'll see everybody next time. Peace. <laughs>